Welcome to another episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com. Joined by Lance Meno. I am John Schmoke. Back from two weeks away. I'm charged and ready to roll here. It's all presented by Coors Light. Thanks for being with us. And Lance, we had the week off of the 4th of July. You and Paul carried us through last week's shows. And finally, you're starting to see some NFL news now starting to hit the way, starting to hit the wires a little bit. You have the CBA stuff going on. Teams reporting to camp. The ones that play that Hall of Fame game in just a week. So things are starting to pick up here, and the Giants will report about 10 days from today. Hard to believe, as you mentioned, with all that has transpired over the course of the offseason. But you're right, Denver Broncos, they're in camp Wednesday. Falcons, team square off in the Hall of Fame preseason game. It's, it's truly amazing. With all the events that we have, we look at the calendar and we say to ourselves, oh my God, you know, this is going to take forever. But little by little, there's something each and every week, each and every month in the NFL offseason, which I think is what adds excitement for the fans from different perspectives. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, we'll be joined by our guest, Sal Palantonio, who covers the NFL for ESPN. PN in just a couple of minutes and the rookies come Monday then the veterans show up Thursday so those are the things that the Giants are looking forward to here uh, the rookies have one real practice and one walkthrough before the veterans show up on Thursday then the veterans have their first practice on Friday and look things get going it'll start slowly but our first preseason game, where's the Giants' schedule, August is less than a month away. You're looking at about three weeks. So that's fun. That's exciting. And, you know, we're excited for camp now, but then when camp starts about a week later, it'll be, oh, boy, I just can't wait to play in a game already. I'm tired of watching these guys in practice. Well, and it'll come before you know it, John. I, I'm like that, too. There's only so much that you want to just sit there and watch them hit each other, which is going to be refreshing compared to OTAs and minicamp. But then you want to progress, obviously, in the direction of games. But once again, it's going to go very quickly. You're going to have tough decisions that the Giants are going to have to make in terms of roster moves, cutting down the roster. And remember, just as a sake of clarification, there is no middle ground anymore. It's 90 straight to 53. There are no, no early 75. cuts. Though, though you can't cut whenever you, you want. You can, meaning there's no Correct. rule that prevents you. You're right, John, but you don't have to get down to 75 by a specific date. You can carry all 90 if you want into the final preseason game and then slowly get down to 53 by the necessary NFL deadline. No question about it. And the one piece of news that's kind of been in um, news reports recently are the CBA negotiations. I know everyone here would be thrilled if there is no you know, labor stoppage of any kind. Uh, two off seasons from now in the off season of uh, you know 2021, um, but you know that's when or the off season of 2020, excuse me. So you know they're trying to kind of hammer this thing out early if they can. And one issue that's come up is that 18 game schedule, and I, I just don't think it's something that's going to happen. We'll see. Um, what are your thoughts on the 18 games, but guys only play in 16, which I think is the owner's way of trying to compromise with the players, who obviously. And everyone's concerned about player safety, trying to keep the wear and tear on the players down, but get 18 games to get more games that count rather than playing the four preseason contests. Yeah, it's 100% an appeal to the safety angle that we hear about. I'm completely against it, John, and I can't imagine any player, any coach, specifically a coach, signing up for a situation where you play 18 and you're limiting guys to 16. I mean, just think about this. You're telling me that your starting quarterback, if he's fully healthy for an 18-game season, automatically you don't have him for two games. And then also... You know what? I didn't even think about the quarterback angle of it. Well, there's a No, quarterback no, angle. you're 100% right about that. Well, and let's take it a step further. 
you don't have your left tackle for two games, John. <laughs> okay, And how much have we focused on the offensive line, specifically on this program as it relates to the Giants? So you're benching, if I'm a coach, Don, you're benching your left tackle for the two games that your starting quarterback is missing because I'm not putting my starting quarterback out in a scenario where I'm now moving over my right tackle or I'm moving over my left guard. So to me, it's an extreme domino effect. Also, I could see most teams saying, you know what, let's just bench all the starters for the two games and we'll take our chances with the development and we'll see how the young guys, as opposed to spreading it out across the board, I would think if you're a coach, just get it over with. Yeah, you have some real tough decisions for coaches. Yeah. And do, and here's the thing then. Do you bench him against the team that's really good? There's a chance you're going to lose the game anyway. Do you bench him all on a Thursday night game because it's a short week and you don't want to put your players at risk on a short week? You know, those are all types of things that you take a look at here. You know, if, if for example, this year, if you're the Giants going into New England on a Thursday night on a short week, you're the road team and you're playing Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. Is that, is that one of the... You know, team games that you don't think you have a great chance of winning anyway, do you just have your teams not play then? And then all of a sudden, do the good teams have an easier schedule because teams are resting their players against them? And then your national TV games get screwed up. You don't think a lot of teams will be resting their games, resting all their players on Thursday nights? How do you think Fox feels about that? Who paid a bajillion oh, dollars for a Thursday night football? Yeah. I think it, it, there's going to be a lot of unintended consequences on this. Well, because to your point, there would have to be some rules in place, I think, that govern how exactly you're resting players, and then coaches are not going to like that because they're going to be like, well, wait a minute, if you're putting limits, you should not then put additional limits on when and where we can rest players. I think to answer your question, if I'm a coach, and let's say hypothetically this is implemented, I'm resting my starters in two types of scenarios. Quick turnarounds... That would be number one, to your point. But once again, you're then going to have to battle the network executives who are not going to want that. So if that's out of the picture, then to me, the next games that I'm resting my stars, John, is non-conference games. Why? Because non-conference yeah. mm -hmm. games don't apply to tiebreakers. And that's when you get, by the way, some of your best matchups in the NFL. From a fan's perspective. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But they're going to have to sacrifice that because... If I'm the Patriots, for example, I'm going to rest Brady when we're playing the NFC East or the NFC North. Why? Because I know, first of all, a divisional game and an in-conference game could come back to bite me when it comes to battling for a division or a wild card. Yeah, here's a question, though. I, seriously, like, I think it's interesting strategy. Would you bench your best player? Let's say you're the Patriots, right? And you got the four NFC East teams on the schedule. And we'll be joined by Sal Palantonio for a second. And you're looking at it and you say, look, we have to bench Tom Brady for two games, right? Do you go and bench him against the Redskins, assuming you'll beat them anyway? Or do you bench him against Dallas? Because you're saying, oh, that's a game we might lose anyhow, or the Eagles. Do we rest them then? I just think it's a real interesting strategy part of this whole thing that, to your point, coaches probably don't want to deal with. <laughs> no, I can't see any coach that would sign up for having to also sell to a player who's a star player. Hey, by the way, you got to yeah. sit one out. I mean, there are a number of guys in this league that do not hesitate to play through injury because of their competitive drive. It's just not a realistic mix. Listen, the bottom line is it's a starting point. It's encouraging because they're getting ahead of CBA talks, which I think is always a positive. Yep. But for anybody to put a lot of substance and stock behind this, I wouldn't go that far. I just think it's a floating idea to get the conversation started. It's all part of the negotiation process, no question about it. Now we're joined by our guest, he's Sal Palantonio, who covers the NFL for ESPN. Sal, it's great to talk to you. you got John Schmelk and Lance Meadow here in the Giants facility in East Rutherford. How's your summer going? Uh, pretty good. Uh, not bad at all. Decided to uh, take a little bit more time off this summer because last year 
I was blessed to write the Eagles championship book. And, um, you know, that's, uh, that's a lot of work. So I decided this was the summer where I would, you know, set that all aside. But since the, the time that Carson Wentz was drafted and Doug Peterson was hired, pretty much been on the go nonstop for three solid years. So this was, this was a little bit of a, of a nice break this summer, but, you know, it's going to be an exciting year, certainly in the NFC East. There's so many big storylines just in the NFC East. There really is. Yes, Al, no doubt about it. And let's start right there with the Giants. Uh, your overall take on their offseason, uh, we know about Daniel Jones in the draft, uh, Kevin Zeitler trade, the Odell Beckham Jr. trade, a lot of movement. Dave Gettleman continues to transform the roster. Uh, do you see what he's trying to do in the plan? What's your take on what Gettleman's path was this offseason for the Giants? Well, let's start with Odell Beckham Jr. I was uh, definitely all on board for the trade. Um, I thought it was definitely addition by subtraction for the team. Don't forget, he missed uh, half of the season, and each of the last two years wasn't available to the team. And um, I, I think uh, what they got in in exchange was a win, but that uh, it, it really would help the team on both offense and defense for sure. Uh, you know, the Daniel Jones, I was there, as you know, for the drafting of Daniel Jones. And as you know, I've, I've always been a great, great admirer of Eli Manning. People always ask me who's my favorite player in the interview, and it's always Eli. Eli's number <laughs> one for me. Always accessible, always willing to take on the tough questions. Uh, a real mensch. And um, I, I think it's really an interesting time for the team regarding Eli Manning. I'm a, I'm a voter on the Pro Football Hall of Fame selection committee, one of the 46 voters, and Eli's got my vote. Eli's got my vote for his ballot. Hall of Fame. He won two Super Bowls uh, the way he did. Um, I, I, I've always thought he was extremely tough. But, you know, time expires on, on different players. And uh, he needs to get pushed. And the quarterback position on the team needs to get pushed. And it'll be interesting to see whether Daniel Jones can push him. And uh, I've talked to Eli a couple of times this offseason on the record for ESPN, and it's pretty clear he he doesn't want to go anywhere. He wants to play uh, in 2020, uh, even even if it's not for the New York Giants. He's a competitive soul, even though he's quiet. So it's going to be a very interesting year, considering this is the first time in his year he's going into the last year of his contract. Well, and I think you bring up a very interesting point, Sal. You're right. He is sort of a lame duck quarterback right now because there's uncertainty beyond this year in terms of his contract. But taking that a step further, how do you see the timeline playing out? You know, based on your conversations with Eli, looking at the Giants roster of when they'll truly make the transition from the veteran quarterback to the young up-and-coming QB and Daniel Jones? It's such an... uh, uh a difficult question to answer, right? Because it's a movable feast. In other words, it's a movable target. A, we don't know how Eli is going to respond. B, we don't know how Daniel Jones is going to play. Is there an inevitability about it? Absolutely there is because Eli is not under contract past this year. So they have to make the move at some point. But you just don't know how the team is going to respond and what their record is going to be and what kind of pressure there's going to be on the team and on the head coach and on Mr. Gellman. So I don't really have a definitive answer for you, but I I know this. 
Eli is not going quietly into the night. Yeah, and I don't think the Giants would have it any other way either, by the way. Um, just going back to the Beckham trade for a moment, what do you think this offense is going to look like without him, Sal? Because a lot of people, I don't happen to be one of them, wonder about how successful and productive it's going to be without him on the field. But to me, the trade yielded a Pro Bowl caliber guard in Kevin Zeitler. They brought in Golden Tate. Evan Ingram is coming off a final four games last year. We played really well. What do you think this offense is going to look like without number 13 out there? Well, you know, there's been a quiet revolution in NFL offenses led by Josh McDaniels and Tom Brady. Specifically, when you look at snap to release time, they have made it a point of emphasis in New England. They have led the way in making sure the ball gets out quickly. Tom Brady has led the league and snapped to release time at 2.53 seconds over the last two seasons. And it's interesting to know that the number two guy on that list is Nick Foles, who was the quarterback who beat Tom Brady in Super Bowl 52. And Drew Brees is number three. Hmm. And it's to me, right now, it's all about getting the ball out as quickly as possible giving the quarterback as many options at the line of scrimmage to get the ball out quickly, especially for older quarterbacks and non-mobile quarterbacks, because it is the absolute antidote to the pass rush and to pass coverage. Because so many teams are playing single high safety right now. They're playing man coverage underneath with single high safety deep. And so I think the Giants can succeed for a lot of different reasons. I think number one is Eli is very good at run-pass option at the line of scrimmage. He hasn't been good at getting the ball out quickly. And I think if they work on that with him this year, and they work on that with Daniel Jones this year, and you have the play-action pass of Saquon Barkley, the Giants' offense can and will improve. Remember, they scored 369 points last year. Now, I know some of it was, I, people always come back to me and say, hey, Sal, a lot of it was so-called, quote-unquote, garbage time. But nevertheless, those points were scored. And I think that the Giants, the magic number, if you go through it, guys, do a little bit of the math on your own. If you score 400 points in this league, mm -hmm. you usually are in the top 12 teams that make the playoffs. No, 100%. The magic right. yeah. number is 400. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and that and basically if you get puts to 400, you have a chance to get to the playoffs. Yeah, and, and, and that basically puts it around 24, 25 points a game, which is where they were even after Beckham's injury in the final four games last year. And what you were yeah. ta what you were talking about, Sal, is a stat that a lot of people are throwing out, not just you, in terms of, you're right, last season, to define the Giants' campaign, they scored the most points of all NFC East teams, but on the flip side, Sal, they also gave up the most points, <laughs> and that brings me to the opposite side of the football right now, which I think it's fair to say may have more question marks, to your point, than what the offense presents, no Olivier Vernon, question about pass rush. What's your synopsis of the defense and the outlook for James Betcher in year number two? Right. So, you know, as you can tell by my last answer, 
I don't think I think pass rush right now, honestly, and this will this will shock you. I'm going to say it anyway. I think pass rush in the NFL is overrated because offensive coordinators and quarterbacks have figured out what the Patriots have been doing, and that is get the ball out quickly. I mean, I don't care how good of a pass rusher you are. It's nearly impossible to get to the quarterback in under three seconds yeah, yeah. unless you have a free rush. Okay? I would invite you to go back. And I, I, I am the host of the NFL Master Chef. So one of the things that we do is study a lot of film, a quarterback play in the league, because I, ha- I happen to work with one of the best of the best, and that is Greg Cosell down at NFL Films. Yep. Nobody's better at breaking down quarterbacks than Greg Cosell. You all know his work. I've learned a lot from him and Ron Jaworski over the years. Uh, and also, Bill Polian was my partner on ESPN Radio. And one of the things I get to do is do sideline radio a lot at Foxborough. And sometimes I would do the game a couple of times where the Chargers would come in. And the Chargers have these two great outside, as you know, mass call pass rushers that never touch Brady. <laughs> because it takes too long to get to him. The ball is out. You've got to get the ball. You, get, you, you have to get up get up the middle of him almost with a free rush to get to him. That's why he has remained so healthy and so effective at such an, an advanced age of the league. Yeah, absolutely, Sal. And I think that's something the analytics show as well. A lot of the people are saying that the better coverage impacts the game better than pass rush does. And look at the Giants draft. Uh, They drafted three cornerbacks. They bring in Jabril Peppers. So you think if those young corners play well enough, they can overcome maybe some of the deficiencies at the outside pass rusher position? Uh, Absolutely. But I I think right now the NFC is super competitive. I think uh, Dak Prescott, proved that he was going to be a better quarterback with Amari Cooper. Ezekiel Elliott is playing for his next deal, and I expect him to have a big year. Prescott's going to get paid. They got healthier on their offensive line. I think the big question mark in the division, the two biggest are the quarterback positions for the Eagles and the Giants. Eagles, because of the health of Carson Wentz, and Giants, when do they make the transition away from Eli to Daniel Jones? Well, I agree with you, Sal. I think also the Eagles' depth chart has immensely changed, too. You brought up Nick Foles when you were talking about statistical breakdowns. I mean, that was a nice insurance policy to have, given the fact that Carson Wentz hasn't proven his durability. Yeah, a, a tad, a tad. I'm, go, I'm going out on a limb here, Sal. I, certainly. But, but you know what? Interestingly, Sal, and you know the Eagles better than anybody, they've got a guy named Nate Sudfeld on their depth chart, who was also a previous draft pick by the Redskins. I'm curious your perspective. How does that change the dynamics and the confidence of the Eagles, knowing that if Wentz goes down, who they could turn to this year? Listen, I, you know, I like to keep it real. You know, you know me, right? <laughs> of course. I like to keep it real here. Of course. Oh, okay. Listen, uh, St. Nick's not coming down the chimney to save Christmas, okay? So... <laughs> And Nate Sudfeld is no is no Santa Claus, okay? Uh, so <laughs> if Carson Wentz and, and I've said this to you in Philly radio, if Carson Wentz goes down, the Eagles' season is essentially over, and the, and the, and the future is in doubt. 
I'm very anxious to see whether he can remain on the field for 16 games. I, I'm actually going to walk the cap back just a little bit, guys. I'm anxious to see if he makes it through training camp. Mm, wow. I mean, it's a long, hot summer here in South Philadelphia. It's a confluence to I-95 and the Schuylkill Expressway here in the concrete jungle of South Philadelphia. It, it's a long, hot summer. Let's see how he makes it through a whole training camp, what he has yet to do. Let's stick in the NFC East side. That's your one big question about Philly. What's your big question for the Cowboys? Their defense. I mean, they they came off their last game where uh, a backup running back basically ran up and down the field on them, and that was embarrassing to them. You know, you know, everybody wants to play the place to blame on Dak Prescott or or for for that matter Eli Manning, but uh, you know, the, the defense of both teams let let their teams down. Dallas in the postseason and the Giants defense during the regular season. So I, I think that's the major question mark going into the season for the, for the Cowboys. The Cowboys are going to score some points now. Um, and, and it's going to be super competitive within that division, I think. Well, and one of the reasons why, Sal, I think you could support your claim about it's going to be very competitive there has not been a back-to-back division champ, and I always love throwing out this statistic, Sal, since the Eagles won four in a row in the early 2000s. And the reason I bring that up, well, Dallas is trying to complete the impossible, essentially. From somebody who's covered the NFC East for quite some time, what do you attribute to why it's been so difficult for one particular team to duplicate winning the division over again? I would say multiple factors, but the number one thing would have to be the erratic play of the quarterbacks mm. uh, and injury at the quarterback position. And, you know, you know, look, if you look at just the Eagles, the Eagles have had uh, uh, a number of quarterbacks come through here uh, until Wentz showed up and then Wentz got hurt. So um, that's, that's a really good uh, indicator. Uh, you know, I think that, that to me is the, is the number one thing. You know, Sal, just overall in the conference, I'm going to list you some teams here that I don't think any of us would be surprised if they made the playoffs. Cowboys, Eagles, Bears, Vikings, Packers, Saints, Falcons, Panthers, Rams, Seahawks. I just listed 10 teams that none of us would be surprised if they made the playoffs in the NFC. There are six spots. This is going to be one hell of a competitive conference for the two wildcard spots. It really is. Uh, and I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, there's three in the NFC South. You could definitely ask, ask, add the 49ers. Sure. I think yeah. if Garoppolo gets back on track, I think the 49ers are going to be able to get after the get after the quarterback. Um, the Seahawks. I have questions about the Seahawks. I think their roster is a little thin. Um, if Wilson stays healthy, which is amazing to me because he was sacked 51 times last year, the most. <laughs> Uh, in his career. Um, here's a team where I think could take a step back, and, and this may shock some people. I think the Rams could. I think teams, uh, defensive coordinators, have figured mm-hmm. out the Rams' offense a little bit. That's fair. Since they dropped fifth. Yep, there's. Uh, hello? No, that's how we're here. In the Super Bowl? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I think the Rams are a team you know, uh, that are built from the inside out defensively. And. Um, uh, you you can you can do some things against that team uh, clearly without Gurley and without Cup. Goff is a different quarterback. Again, study the film on them. The one thing that they do over and over again offensively is play action pass, 
And if you don't have the threat of Gurley running the football, Goff becomes very ordinary. Sal, you brought up the fact that the Rams could take a step back. Well, let's go on the opposite end of the spectrum. When you look at the NFC landscape, which team do you think maybe is falling under the radar right now that could actually make some huge strides? Yeah, you know, I don't really – I think you named them all. I, I, I'm interested to see how Kingsbury's offense works where you don't block anybody and you throw everybody into the pass route, uh, and uh, you have to account for the quarterback as a runner, and how long Kyler Murray lasts in that system. Now, I, I, I happen to think he's going to be an electric player. Um, I, I really do. And, but I, I, I think a, if you would ask me to one team to keep an eye on that could make some noise, it would be the Cardinals because of he's a different talent. He's a different level talent. Let's talk about the rule changes a little bit, Sal. And I think the one that everyone cares about the most is the pass interference call. I've poked around a little bit, talked to some folks, and the impression that I get is that they're going to basically direct the officials to only change these pass interference calls if it's fairly obvious and egregious. Do you think they're going to stick to that? Or are we going to fall into what we've fallen into with the rest of replay here where you're micromanaging every little touch and contact and stuff when they look at these replay reviews on the pass interference penalties? Um, I think they are going to stick to that. I think that uh, Roger Goodell basically put Al Riveron, the head of officiating, on the clock on this Mm. because of what happened uh, with the catch-no-catch rule a couple of years ago where I think uh, there was an overcorrection that happened in the New York offices, and as a result, the game was being officiated from New York. And I don't think that that's going to happen in this particular case. I like the new rule, and uh, I am glad that the coaches won in the end so that it's a, it's a reviewable call in the final two minutes out of their hands so that they don't have to hold on to that challenge flag and have to make that decision in the last two minutes. I think that was uh, really smart that the coaches put up a fuss about it because I was at the league meeting um, when that was, when they tried to walk the cat back and Rich McKay and Troy Vincent, and they said, no, we want the coaches to be able to do it, not the officials. And the coaches said, uh... No. Uno momento, four for four. Hold on a second. Uh, we, we don't want to do that. And I'm glad the coaches won. Yeah, I'm with you, too. I mean, I think that that, to me, is the structure that makes the most sense. But just piggybacking off of John's point related to this new expansion of instant replay and especially now incorporating judgment calls out, from a big-picture perspective, how concerning, though, is it if we are starting to see the league go into the direction of slowing down play-by-play to a point where it doesn't resemble the full speed of football? I mean, from a big-picture perspective, how concerning is that direction? I'm not that concerned about it. I'm not. I I think it's going to be okay. I think in the end it's going to work. Hey, Sal, as long as they get the calls right, I think we'll deal with games that are five or ten minutes longer, and hopefully it won't be that bad. There's only one challenge per game. We know the deal with that. But as long as you get the calls right and you don't have what happened last year matters. I think the the fans fans want to get the calls right. After what happened in New Orleans, you had, in my view, an illegitimate 
Super Bowl contender. Yeah, look, I, I agree 100%. Last one from me. We're getting some news and, and word out right now about the owners trying to, you know, push the 18-game schedule again. You know, the one proposal had the 18 games with each player only being able to play 16. I'm sure you heard Lance and I kind of discussing it before we had you on. Uh, I just think it's a really tough mechanically-wise to, to get something like that workable, and I think there are unintended consequences that might happen. Is that, you think, a realistic proposition right now, or is this just part of the negotiation process? Yeah, I, I was listening to you guys before I came on, and I agree with you that it's a starting point in the conversation, not an ending point. And I would just raise this one issue, and that is this. If I'm a season ticket holder mm. to the New York Giants, or the, let's say the Philadelphia Eagles, and I'm told that two of my games I'm not going to see Carson Wentz, That's well, a then I don't want to pay full price. Of course. I mean, that would... if I'm sitting at home, if I'm sitting at home, and I'm paying two hundred dollars a month for a Comcast cable, uh, I want to see Carson Wentz for all eighteen games, or, or I want a discount. Yeah. I, I, I want a rebate from the Eagles or from the NFL because I'm not getting uh, the number one player in those games. So I think while it's a good starting point for the conversation, uh, I don't see how you. How do you how do you say to the fans, uh, Carson? It's like going to a Broadway show and and, and Bette Midler's you know has got an understudy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very. It's a fair very, parallel. Very good Seinfeld reference there, Sal. I picked up on it. <laughs> Thank you. I yeah. thought I was. I, I got was you. Waiting for that. Thank you very I much. I got you. No problem. <laughs> well, and it reminds me what you're talking about, Sal. A lot of the conversations that are going on in the NBA with the load management debate and whether or not you rest star uh, players yeah. when they're visiting sites where fans go out of their way to buy those tickets yeah exactly so let's say let's say the eagles are visiting the cowboys right and uh and the eagles have have the uh division wrapped up and and doug peterson says we're not playing carson wentz this week he's this is one of the weeks off boy oh boy how do you think that'll go over in the Metroplex? <laughs> <laughs> Not very smoothly. Last one for me, Sal, <laughs> in terms of the CBA talks. The fact that these conversations are happening now, well in advance of the expiration of the CBA, whether or not it's realistic that we go to 18 games and the 16-game cap, compared to how things played out going back to 2011, how encouraging is it that both sides are coming together this early and at least entertaining some of these ideas that may separate themselves at this point in the negotiation? I think, the, I, I think it's very, very encouraging. Here's the bottom line. I think... NFL players and Major League Baseball players are looking at the windfall of guaranteed money that NBA players are getting in free agency. One, and the control that NBA players have over where they go and how much they get paid and who they get to get, get to play with. And I think that is going to be the number one thing that players are going to tell their union reps in their locker rooms that this is what we want to get hmm. towards. We want to get to the point where we have control and we have guaranteed money. 
So I'm going to ask you a quick follow-up on this, Al, because really quickly, I think the argument that I always give to people that say NFL contracts should be guaranteed, my retort then is, well, then just be ready to accept the fact that the contracts are going to be a lot shorter. You know, you're not going to give out a five-year guaranteed, fully guaranteed contract. You're going to give out a three-year fully guaranteed contract. But you think so players get more control over where they're going, they'd be okay if they're signing shorter deals if the money's more, if the, if the deals are more fully guaranteed in terms of the money. Right, so the devil is in the details. There's right. no question about it, and your question is a legitimate one. No, no, no doubt about that. But the bottom line is, I think players in Major League Baseball and in professional football have seen what has happened in the NBA, and they want to get closer to the NBA model. Well, as long as that doesn't mean the Giants end up winning as many games as the Knicks, I think I'll be okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> Sal, we really appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much. Enjoy the rest of your time off, and then we hit the grind in about a week, my friend. Thanks a lot, Sal. Yeah, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see you up at Quest Diagnostics uh, pretty soon, probably the first day it opens for sure. Can't right, wait nice. to see you, Sal. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me on the show. I really, really appreciate it. And Call me anytime. Absolutely. Make sure you check out Sal Palantonio, host of the Edge NFL Matchup Show. They do a great job on ESPN. It's my favorite show you guys have on your whole network, Sal. So we really appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, and don't forget, even if there's some Eagles fans up there in North Jersey, Philly special, the inside story of how the Philadelphia Eagles won their first Super Bowl title. There's a lot of stuff in there about Eli and the Giants. You'll like it. I appreciate that, Sal. Thank you very much again. Thanks, Sal. See you guys. Great. Sal Palantonio, always generous this time. Tremendous guy. Nicest dude in the world. And we, he's right. He was here in the, in the, the Giants draft to Jones. We had like a 20-minute conversation in the cafeteria about what the Giants were doing. Just a, a great, great dude. So... Good stuff from any takeaways, Lance, from what uh, Sal had to say? Well, I mean, I think it was uh, extremely informative in terms of us really going around and getting the full spectrum of what's going on in the league, the division, the Giants specifically. My biggest takeaway was his discussion on the Giants and the fact that he's not overly concerned about the, la- the limited group of pass rushers right now on the current roster because he feels that the league is going more and more in a direction of it's hard to get home, John. And as a result, you need your secondary to be that much more reliable, which is maybe not necessarily surprised why the Giants utilize so many picks on trying to retool this secondary opposite Janoris Jenkins. I still personally think, John, you need to have an emphasis in putting pressure on the opposing offensive line. Whether you get home or not, you still need guys that are going to take the attention of the offense and say, hey, we've got to double this guy. We've got to pull our attention this way. And whenever you have a young secondary, you also need to account for there's going to be a fluctuation in terms of production game in and game out. There's not going to be the same level of consistency that a veteran provides. So I get his point. I completely understand where he's coming from. I think that there's stats and the eye test that backs it up. But I don't know necessarily if that should automatically make James Betcher feel comfortable simply because of the fact that maybe the pass rush is not getting home across the league right now. Yeah, and look, the Giants' young corners have to play well early too, which as I've said a million times, young cornerbacks, look, they're going to make mistakes. They're going to happen. Just a matter, and Paul's made this point a bunch of times, how much of those mistakes hurt you? You know, a cornerback can get toasted, make a horrible mistake, and a quarterback can overthrow a pass. You know, a guy can slip and fall down. It can be an, a holding penalty on the offense, and it gets called back. You know, there are a million things that can happen on these individual plays that makes those mistakes less painful. So just something to keep in mind moving forward. And sometimes you get gifts from the opposition. Sometimes you get beat, John, and then the quarterback throws the ball deep down the field, and the wide receiver drops it. And then you say... 
Thankfully that it didn't come back to bite you, but you, you can't rely on that. That can't be a defensive philosophy. Case in point, if you remember, and this is not to rehash old issues, but in that Giants-Panthers game, when Odell Beckham and Josh Norman went at it, a lot of people focus on that. I don't know if most people remember the beginning of that game, John. Eli hits Odell Beckham, if you remember, up the right sideline. He's got Norman beat. Odell does not catch the football. Now, I'm not saying that the game turns out differently, but those are those momentum break type of plays that you're referring to Man, that look, could go either way. Look at the playoff game against the Packers that the Giants played two years ago. The Hail Mary play. No, I just mean in general. Up. How many oh, you drops did the Giants have in that yeah, game? Absolutely. I mean, well, they, that's another example, yeah, where they could yeah. have maybe jumped out to an early lead. Changes the dynamics of the game. Yeah. That's fair. All these little things. All right, let, let's get to your calls at 201-939-4513. We'll check out hashtag Giants chat at well. As well, I'll try to get to a tweet or two as we move along in today's program. Uh, let's start off on the phones, though, and go to Bob in Pennsylvania, who's been holding the longest. Hey, Bob. Hi, guys. How you doing? We're great, Bob. Hi, What's Bob. up? Uh, before I get to uh, my Dexter Lawrence point, I'd like to make a shout-out to Daniel Jones. Um, being the Giants, we'll go with two quarterbacks this year. Once they cut Kyle a letter, please do not go back to your – number 17 that you wore in college because I still have nightmares about a Duke quarterback wearing <laughs> number 17. Well, I can tell so, you. I, number, I, I, just stick with number eight. Well, Daniel, I, 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 I can tell you, career. Daniel Jones looked good wearing number eight in camp. I think it's a really good quarterback number, and I don't know if he's going to stick with it or not or how that's going to go, but I think I think eight's a really good quarterback number. So hopefully he sticks he with it. I think he looks good in eight, and I don't see why he, he would want to go back to 17 being he was getting uh, – hammered so much at Duke anyway. Um, as far as Dexter Lawrence goes, I, I, don't know, I don't know if people realize what a pivotal pick that is in the career of Dave Gettleman as far as – I was one of the people who was upset, disappointed that they didn't go with Josh Allen. But you got to remember, we weren't going to get both of those guys. So from here on – if Dexter Lawrence turns out to be the man, I mean, you're, you're going to compare those two careers over as the years go by. And if he turns out to be a stud, I'm not saying he's going to be Aaron Donald, but if he turns out to be a player, it'll all work out. We would we still got the defensive lineman and the quarterback. And um, you also got to remember that was the uh, that was the the pick for Atomic Blonde there, too. So it's also it's a very big pick for Dave Gettleman to have gotten right. So I uh, just hope it all works out. I, I, I'm very confident that uh, Daniel Jones is going to be able to carry the torch and Dexter Lawrence is going to work out, too. I, I'm always optimistic in July anyway. So well, I think most fans have reason to be optimistic as well, Bob, and appreciate the phone call. Thanks, Bob. Thanks so much for weighing in. I understand his point about if you want to compare Dexter Lawrence to Josh Allen. The problem is they're completely two different players. And by the way, you could have drafted both of them if you didn't draft the quarterback. Yeah, you don't know. It wasn't necessarily one or the other. What happens if they draft Josh Allen first and then Daniel Jones is gone before 17th? Then they could pick Dexter Lawrence too. Assuming Dexter Lawrence is still there. Correct, yeah. I mean, you just Mm -hmm. don't know how the dynamics of the draft play out in this coulda, woulda, shoulda game. So I'm not a huge fan of the hypothetical, but your point is well taken. I'm just saying when you are going to start comparing the career paths of Josh Allen and Dexter Lawrence, what they're asked to do within their respective defense is very different. So I really don't think you can look at 
both statistics and tell me, wow, they should have went after Josh Allen. Allen's going to be asked to do very different things than what Dexter Lawrence is going to be asked to do for the New York Giants. It's two different positions. So it's really not an ideal comparison is what I'm saying because there's going to be more than just what's on paper to judge truly the career arcs for both of those guys. Let's go to Peter in the Florida Keys. He joins us next on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's up, Pete? Hey, awesome show today, guys. Really appreciate, appreciate you uh, breaking us down. Hey, I had a, two quick comments I wanted to throw at you guys yeah. to hear your opinions. For one, that 18-game season that you that uh, that was pitched, I don't think it's going to happen, but to be perfectly honest, it's completely going to change the strategy. You know, when to sit your starters and, you know, if you're looking to play a, a poor team, a poor performing team, you Eli at that time, I think it'll completely, completely change the strategy. Also, uh, Lance, I think you had a really good point. When you set the quarterback, you know, that's, that's going to significantly alter things. But, you know, the first time I heard the, the rule, the potential rule change, what I thought was interesting was, you know, place kicker, long snapper, punter, you know, that, you know, games are traditionally very close. You know, if you're going to sit Algic Rosas, and he was Ooh. our yeah, all-star point. last that's year. That's a really good point. You know, it kind of scares me. And what does that mean to our team? Do we have to carry a second kicker? Well, you know, so that's a great point. Yeah, I didn't I think about that. that. That's a really good point. Well, and that's why what you're talking about, Peter, also, if you're going to implement an 18-game schedule, 16-game cap, you also need to talk about expanded rosters. So, you know, that's another part of this conversation because if you're going to carry two punters, two kickers, two long snappers, whatever it may be, holders, you know, now you need to be able to accommodate that on the roster. I mean, you might be able to put in the rule where it does not apply to kickers and An punters exception. because they are not physically put at risk the way other positions are. I guess that's possible, but something tells me the NFLPA is not going to be, you know, determining what positions guys plays will determine the, the, the rules for the whole union. So I don't know if that's going to work. Well, either. and if anything, John, they want roster expansion because it's more opportunities yeah, for their union. So, yeah. I mean, I think they'd want to have two kickers, two punters, or whatever it may be. One idea that I've thrown out on some other programs, and I'm curious your thoughts, yeah. is I suggest if they go to 18 games, and actually I think they should do this right now in my opinion, the 10-player practice squad should be like the G League for the NBA. Guys should be able to come and go up and down from the active roster. They should not have to go through waivers. So this way you know you'll never lose that player. Because right now, if you call up a guy from the practice squad, he goes to the active roster, let's say you need him for one game, then your running back comes back because he was a backup running back. you got to put him through waivers. Somebody else can claim him. There's no guarantee you get him back. Eliminate that and use it as a developmental aspect of the roster. The only way that works is if you pay them a lot more money. Well, you have 100%. to. 100%. Yeah. yeah. You, you're mm -hmm. going to have to increase the pay. I get that. But you know what? And make them guaranteed deals. Or, you know you know what I mean? Make them much more like NFL deals as opposed to what they make now as a practice squad member. Well, but once again, I would think the union would welcome that. I mean, you're helping oh, no, 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 no. your own body. That, no, that, that's something the union is probably for today. The question is whether or not the teams would be for it. Well, of course, and that's what happens right. in the game mm -hmm. of negotiations. Yes. You give me a little, I give you a little. So, yeah, but all of those points that you brought up, Peter, they're interconnected because if you're going to do those things, you have to discuss roster expansion. It right. has to be mm -hmm. done. That makes complete sense. Now, thinking about it, maybe the one guy that would be excited about the 18 Game season with the Jeff Eagles. He'll have more special teams guys on the roster. Nah, he would be. Very be. And, well, you know, no one will be more excited than Paul Dettino. Paul Dettino <laughs> wants a 40-game season wow. if he could have it. Oh, jeez. 
with, well, with 14 hour games too. Yeah, well, <laughs> he would want a double header of games. Welcome by the to same team. Exactly, welcome exactly, to Tuesday night exactly. football. Yeah, there you go. And appreciate um, the full, other, oh yeah, yeah real quick. Right. My other point. I'm sorry. My other point. I just wanted to get your opinion because I'm a little perplexed. Yeah. I really enjoyed the draft, and the one question mark that always resurfaces every time I think about the draft is drafting Dexter Lawrence at 17. Mm-hmm. You know, I understand if you're going to draft somebody at 17, he's got to be a three-down player. And I know he was hurt. I know that he wasn't asked to do that at Clemson to rush the passer and be more of like a, a nose-type guy. But I know the old regime was all about the, maybe not the analytics, but the scoring at the combine and all that good stuff. Right. And I believe that Gettleman was more of, hey, let's go for a football guy and let's make sure that production matches what he did in school. Yeah, that's well, 100%. I really feel that, you know, and I just want to get your opinion. You know, we're going to be looking at these four games, and I'm going to be focusing on big depth. What exactly should we be looking for in those games? Because when I listened, I went back and I listened to Dave Gettleman's uh, presser after the draft with uh, uh, Mr. Shermer. And I know they talked about Dexter Lawrence and they talked about Baker at the same time, and he mentioned something about flipping the hips. Now, I thought that was only for corners to change direction, but you need to flip hips for a pass rusher. Well, I think what he means by flipping hips is by being agile enough to, to, to kind of shift your body to get around the offensive linemen, so not just kind of grabbing them. You actually have the ability. You know, on a swim move, for example, you don't have to get your arm over the defender. You have to get your hip around the offensive lineman's, you know, hip as well that you're trying to swim over and, you know, flexibility, things of that nature. And the reason they picked Dexter Lawrence at, at 17, and thanks a lot for the call. We appreciate it, is they believe he can – become a pass rusher. They believe he has the athletic traits to play that role and do that job. That's why they picked him at 17. If he doesn't develop that and he becomes a two-down player like you're worried he might be, I think Dave Gettleman would not, would not have picked him at 17. If he could go into the future and know that he's not going to become a pass rusher, I don't think he's the pick there. But they think he has the ability to do that and be that important interior pass rushing presence that you know Sal Palantonio talked about. It's harder to get to the quarterback from the outside you get there a lot quicker rushing up the middle. Interior pressure, yeah. I mean, you think about Aaron Donald, who uh, one of the previous callers brought up. Now, mm-hmm. we're not certainly putting him in the same conversation yet. We have to see what he could do on the NFL level. But Donald, he gets to the quarterback, but he applies pressure up the gut. That's why he's so valuable and he's so unique. And, yes, they believe he has the potential, John. They think that what they've seen at the collegiate level is just the early stages of what he could tap into. Now, I'm not pointing to the injury as an excuse, but you know, he's the first one that said this when he joined the Giants organization. You're talking about a player that was dealing with a foot injury, nerve damage, didn't really have full feeling in his leg. You know, let, let's see him at full health. L- let's see if he could tap into that potential. I think the upside is there. He's got to prove it. But but they do feel, when it's all said and done during the course of his Giants career, that he will warrant being on the field for all three downs. And he will not be a guy that you just put out there for first and second down, stop the run, and then bring in a substitute on third down. But, you know, once again, we're going to have to see it. I think that you can only take so much away from the college level, mainly because of he was surrounded by a lot of talent, so he wasn't asked to do that as much, the injury. I remember talks about Lorenzo Carter. And once again, I'm not comparing them because 
different players. But, you know, one of the things that Lorenzo Carter was asked to do within the Georgia defense was not necessarily what the Giants may be fully wanted out of him. Now they're asking him to do some different things. I mean, think about they threw him back in coverage against the San Francisco 49ers late last season. So, you know, now they want to see him continue to, to, to continue to expand, excuse me, and continue to grow. I think the same thought process is with Dexter Lawrence at this point. Yeah, I thought that was the 2019 draft guy, but it's 2018 draft guy. So clearly I did not find Dexter Lawrence in there, which I was hoping to do. Well, what were you looking for? I'm trying to find Pro Football Focus had... An interesting stat, and I think I have the PDF on my um, computer here. 2019 draft guide. Here we go. And they have his pass rush uh, productivity. And that doesn't just include sacks, which I know a lot of people just look at. But, you know, they end up looking at, um, you know, pressures and hurries and and things of that nature. And I think people didn't realize that Dex Lawrence was actually ranked fairly highly among defensive, interior defensive linemen in terms of, um, pass rush percentage. So there's run style. Here's pass rush productivity. So in terms of pass rush productivity for interior defensive linemen, um, Dexter Lawrence was fourth of the whole draft class in terms of pass rush productivity of a 14.6. Two sacks, 10 hits, 21 hurries. Behind only Quinnen Williams, Christian Wilkins, and then Zachary Williams, who played the smaller school in UAB. So he was not much different than the other top Defensive lineman in this class, Williams was far ahead of him, but him and Christian Wilkins were were very, very similar. So I do think that those tools are there, and it's, those are some of the advanced statistics you look at to see that he has those uh, capabilities. Real quick, want to hit Twitter. It's time for tweets. Let's Giants chat. From Clayton Harding off the South Palantonio interview, he says, South thinks the Giants quarterback position is a bigger question mark than Washington's? No way. Well, Clayton, there's a reason we didn't ask Sal about the Redskins, and I think it's probably the reason he didn't bring the Redskins up in his answer to the question. I don't think anyone really thinks that the Redskins are much of a threat to win the division. So I think when he went through the biggest questions in the division, he included the Giants and the Eagles. We think those are the teams that could theoretically compete for being at the top of the division. I don't think anyone would argue that the Redskins' quarterback situation right now is superior to what the Giants have at their quarterback position. I don't think anyone would argue that. No, they're in a transition situation. I mean, Case Keenum's not a long-term answer. They drafted Dwayne Haskins. You still have Colt McCoy. By the way, there's no guarantee that Keenum and McCoy make the team because are they going to pay three veteran quarterbacks? Alex Smith still counts against the cap. So, you know, that to me is a looming question surrounding the Washington Redskins. Yeah, I mean, there's just as much uncertainty in the future of Washington as there is with the Giants. You can argue that the Giants and the Redskins, they feel they have found the franchise quarterback. But, I mean, it's a guessing game in terms of when does the transition occur. I would say this. I think it's safe to assume that Dwayne Haskins is going to see the field a lot sooner than Daniel Jones. Because in Washington, you're not dealing with Case Keenum being a long-established quarterback in that system with that franchise. The dynamics are very different, whether it be from an emotional standpoint, a production standpoint. And also, there is much more of a looming question mark about the coaching situation, too, John, in Washington. You know, Jay sure. Gruden has been the mm-hmm. first one to admit. And he jokingly said that when they were determining, you know, who's going to get on hard knocks. Mm-hmm. And he, he said, you know, you should go with the Raiders and my brother. And then somebody said, well, maybe they'll pick you next season. He goes, I don't even know if I'm going to be here next season. And he said it jokingly, <laughs> but, you know, there is some validity behind it. So the, the point is there's urgency for them to figure that out, see what they have in Washington, much more so than the Giants. Two different yeah. – 
emotional, physical type of conversation. And different, different points in terms of where the organizations are. All right, we got three more calls. Let's get them all in. Uh, Is this Vamir or Vladimir, Dave? Vamir in Chester, Pennsylvania. What's up, Vamir? How are you? Hi, how you doing? We're good, man. What's going on? Uh, Nothing, man. Just excited. Just excited about the upcoming season. I just wanted to know why, like, why it took so long for them to, you know, I mean, like, revamp the offensive line because, you know, like, the last Super Bowl we won, you know what I mean, we had an offensive line. And if you don't keep your quarterback upright, you know what I mean, you cannot make plays down the field. Well, Vermeer, they tried. And that's the thing. They tried to do it. You know, they drafted Weston Richburg in the second round. They drafted Justin Pugh in the first round. They drafted Eric Flowers in the first round. They gave free agent money um, to, to, to Schwartz. They gave free agent money to other players. They just didn't pick the right guys. And it, and it didn't work out. So they tried. They, they just frankly failed at it the results didn't come out to the way they they hoped yeah you have yeah you're absolutely right and i think i just think that this year is going to be different than everybody thinking everybody thinking that you know the giants is going to be you know last in the division and you know we don't have odell yeah we're going to miss odell but we got other pieces too if everybody stay healthy i think that you know i mean i think that the team will be good not saying super bowl but you know i mean we'd be better than better than the last few years yeah, look, they better be. I mean, I think everyone expects the team to improve. You know, three and thirteen to five and eleven, big deal. You know, going from being you know really bad to just plain bad. Okay, great, congratulations. No one's throwing you a parade for that. But I think you need to get into a situation here where you're around five hundred. You're playing in meaningful games in December, and if you get there this year, next year you get all this cap space. Maybe you transition to a young quarterback. We'll see how Eli plays, and you go from there. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Vamir. Yeah, yeah, thanks. All right, you guys have a nice day. Hey, you appreciate it, well. man. You too. Good stuff. Call back. 201-939-4513. Dave and Cranford's up next. Hi, Dave. Hey, guys, man. First thing I want to say is um, just a little plug. The uh, Inside the Huddle podcast that you guys do, awesome. Anyone who's listening to this should be listening to that. You just and, made Dave uh, Dominic, little... our producer, very happy, Dave and Yeah, Cranford. he's doing backflips off the camera. He he loves <laughs> nothing more than to pat himself on the back, Dave. So, really, we really appreciate you taking the time in your phone call to uh, compliment him. No, in, in fairness. Nothing uh, brings uh, us he, greater joy. In, in fairness, I also have a large, pretty large role in terms of getting those done. So, I will also thank okay. you for your kind words, So, Dave. now I two of the it. three individuals in this room are patting each other on the back. Dave, nothing it, it, brings it, us it, greater joy than that activity. And, now, and now, Dave, yes. now, now, Dave, now, Dave, by the way, here's what you should say you should say i loved all the giant settle podcast episodes except for the two that were hosted by lance metal that would that, that, that would just be perfect <laughs> it was actually three but oh. who's counting yeah well anyway. i certainly yeah. wasn't the, the the antoine bethea one see dave remembers but, uh, dave remembers see, now you're yeah. getting a pat on the back well, there you go but i'm not taking the pat on the back like the two of you okay but anyway go ahead yeah <laughs> but but i i will say this uh your, your conversation with palatoto was was awesome today i i i can't disagree more or or just you know the the idea of 18 games and two guys two players you know people sitting two games it just seems like a mess and and i don't understand when i hear the players talk about the particularly the nba i I just think you're you're comparing apples to sports cars i mean it's not apples to oranges i mean it's a completely different model and you're dealing with all, and the, the bottom line is the NFL players have to recognize that when they're sitting in the locker room, there's 53 other guys in there that are getting paid, oh, and math, some yeah. guys just play defense and some guys play offense. It's a different business model, and I don't think they're going to get anywhere near that NBA model. 
not look. I, I, you're never going to get there in terms of the amount the individual players make. Could they get to a point where you know they get more guaranteed money over shorter term deals? I don't think that's impossible, but that's going to be a, a big thing because I think you know while the players are empowered in the NBA, I I do think there's a significant downside to a lot of player movement too. Where you know it, if you're sitting there and you're the you know Oklahoma City Thunder, unless you draft a superstar player. You're not getting one. If you're the Indiana Pacers, unless you draft a superstar player, you're not getting one. You know, if yep. you know, and what happens if Giannis Antetokounmpo, I don't think he will. What if he leaves in 2021? What the heck were the Bucks supposed to do? You know, the Raptors just won a damn championship with Kawhi Leonard. Toronto's one of the six or seven biggest markets in the NBA. They did everything right. Kawhi Leonard still left. Yep. So yep. you know no, you're hundred percent right. Yeah. And the and the other side is just the idea, the notion of a super team. Again, in the NBA, where you know two or three players play both ways, it's all you need. You get you know right now everybody's got two. Right. The great teams have three. Um, in the NFL, what are you going to do? Have 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 fifteen, twenty guys? Because at the end of the day. That's just the difference of the sport. So anyway, yeah. well, I, don't, I, I don't want to kill that. Well, I will these, ju- these, just real quickly, Dave, just to add to your point, and we'll let you continue. I mean, yeah, it's not like high school football in the NFL where guys are corners, they're wide receivers, they're punt returners. You know, you have a separation between church and state, as I like to call it, where you don't have much of an overlap unless a guy returns. So, yes, the dynamics on roster building are completely different. And, and the other thing that I think is an advantage for NFL teams which is related to player movement that John was talking about. In the NFL, you got the franchise tag. That's why you never see superstar guys move, specifically the yeah. quarterback. Now, the that's NBA, something I think the players – I think that might be their 1A issue this year. I think they were going to want to try to get rid of the franchise tag. That, no, you're right. That's you're my right. opinion. Well, but, but the reason why I don't see it as that big of an issue is because it doesn't impact enough guys in the association, in the union – that they're going to want to make that a notable well, issue. That's a fair point, too. That's it's a fair point. It's very few. It's a small percentage yeah, of NFL point. players. I, I don't know if it's going to be that significant of an issue. I think they got bigger fish to fry. But go ahead, Dave. Might, that's great. The, the only other thing I was going to say was there was a lot of, lot of talk this year just about the roster and the players and all that sort of stuff. I, I actually think this year is going to come down to, which it always does, but it's not something that's talked about a lot, and that is the you know is coaching for the Giants and specifically play calling. If you go, I think the difference for the defense is going to more be a matter of fact of better trusting the defense's secondary this year compared to what he did last year. If you go back to the Dallas game, it was fascinating. At the end of the game, you know there was a third down and a fourth down from about the thirty yard line when we were ahead. He blitzed on third down, sent the house. Prescott threw the ball out of bounds. He he covered on fourth down, and grant you, Prescott made a heck of a throw and a heck of a catch for the for the you know for Beasley who's not there anymore, but you know to to score. And I just thought it was a difference of of the confidence. I think the way the Giants are going to manufacture pressure this year is going to be a lot on Betcher and his scheme and his play calling. And you could say the same thing about Shermer and his play calling on the offense. And I don't think it's getting a lot of attention, but I think those two, you know, uh, roles on the team are going to have a big impact on our success this season. So thanks, guys. I love talking to you. No, thanks, Dave. Always good to hear from you, and and we appreciate you listening to the Giants Little Podcast. And by the way, you might hear the Sal Palantonio interview show up on the Giants Little Podcast as well. There you go, a little teaser. So, throwing out there for you. 
I think he brings up a really good point uh, about coaching. I think that Betcher also probably has a little bit more comfort with this year's unit, considering most of the guys have been mm-hmm. in it already. He also added a few more former Cardinals, which I think helps in terms of the trust factor. But yeah, you know, how he calls plays, you know, when he chooses to be aggressive, when he chooses to be conservative. I, I want to build somewhat of a parallel, not to get completely off topic, but we were talking to Darren Urban of ArizonaCardinals.com mm-hmm. last week, Paul and I, John, and he did a fantastic job breaking down the Cardinals, and we actually asked him about a lot of current Giants players because there's so much overlap. <laughs> but you know, w- one of the things he pointed out was the Cardinals have faith in the personnel. They made the coaching change because they felt that's where the difference is going to be. And, and I'm not saying it's the exact same thing that's happening with the Giants because the Giants are having a continuation of the staff, but they believe there was strength on the roster. Now it's a matter of Cliff Kingsbury, how he pushes the Bunnins, John, how Vance Joseph pushes the Bunnins on defense compared to Steve Wilkes, and also being a little bit more comfortable with their scheme because he runs a 4-3 compared to the old 3-4, that that was their mindset. So the phone call and the point that Dave made reminds me of what's going on in Arizona. Hey, look, and look, you have to be able to prove to the coach that you can be trusted, though. And that's what you're going to see in practice and in the preseason, you know, do these guys cover well? And they'll watch that in practice, and they'll know. Guys are not going to be, you know, bad in coverage in practice and all of a sudden be good in games. That That's yeah. not how it works. Or the coach is all of a sudden going to have confidence in the guy after no. he can't do it in practice. I think it'll work that way, okay? Yeah. So they'll have to prove it. Final call of the show is UC in New York City. UC, what's going on? Hi, guys. Um, Someone call about flipping the hips? Yes. Yeah, I just want to make a quick comment. Um... Actually, flipping the hips in that term is actually referring to the offensive lineman. How quickly can you get to the offensive lineman to flip the hips? And that's how you take advantage, especially on a one-gap system. Well, that, that, was, that, was, my, that was my point, You see, You have to be good enough side-to-side to, side to get around the offensive lineman, and if their numbers are no longer facing towards the quarterback and they have to turn their bodies, that's when you and, get your lane to the quarterback. Yeah, exactly. Snap, snaps um, or snacks. He used to do this exactly because he never gets squared. Right. Everybody had this problem with snacks about not turning him square because that's where you get leverage. Now, the same thing applies if you use your hand and your feet quick enough to actually allow the offensive lineman to get their hands off of you, to make them turn their hips, to get around the quarterback or around them in order for them to react. All right? That's what you take advantage of the other player. It's the same thing as the corner taking advantage, or wide receiver taking advantage of corner. As quickly as you could take advantage of them flipping the hip, that's when you won the match. Good stuff, UC. Yeah. I appreciate the call. All right, thanks. Thank you, man. Good yeah. stuff. And he's right. That is what Sal was referring to. I misspoke earlier. He's right. At least I think he's right. I'll have to ask David Deal about that next time I see him on Wednesday. I'm not... I'm learning. I've done some film sessions with David Thiel. I'm not completely, you know, offensive line coach level, defensive line coach level knowledge of that stuff. So I'll have to ask David about that on Wednesday. But that, but that does sound right. The concept's the same. The point is that you've got to be able to stop the offensive lineman from being square on you, and you get him to turn. And, you know, you have to do that by being have good side-to-side agility as a defensive lineman. No, because flipping the hips, he's right. For defensive backs, flipping the hips is when you go from your back pedal into your sprint. That's what flipping the hips is. So you're not obviously not doing that for the defensive line. So 
that's what he's talking about in terms of the offensive defensive line play. Well, the key is you're trying to get the offensive lineman out of position. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's essentially what the game plan is. The, the domino effect, the game of chess, however you want to word it. The job is the pass rusher uses moves to get the offensive lineman to react. And then by the offensive lineman being out of position, it creates openings and lanes to get to the quarterback. All right, a couple of things I want to promote really quickly. Giant Subtle Podcast right now. There's two up there uh, that are somewhat recent since I've spoken to you last. Uh, I had conversations with both the assistants on the offensive and defensive sides of the ball uh, for the Giants. So you don't get to hear from the assistant coaches much. This is about five or so minutes with each guy. Each podcast is around 20 minutes long, so make sure you check that out. Those are up there. We'll have a chat with the coordinators to preview training camp. That'll be coming up the, the week training camp opens uh, starting early next week. So make sure you check that out as well. I have a chance to talk to you. Were you part of the blackout? You must have been, right? I was, absolutely. I was certainly impacted. Thank goodness it was only about three hours. So it was a short-lived blackout. Were you home or were you working when I was home. I home. I had just gotten home. So that was a nice gift for me. So, ha- so how did you survive without the... Because, you know, Dave, you know, he has a stream on his TV at home every day. It's just 24 hours of Jordan highlights. And <laughs> yeah. how, what was oh, it exactly. like not having yeah. that... For three consecutive hours. The struggle is real, my friend. The struggle <laughs> is real. Yeah, I'm still recovering. It, it was that painful. I don't know how I got through it without those Jordan highlights. Yeah. Dave, he acted out game six of the 1998 NBA Finals with his action figures. That's instead. right, yeah. That's my action, well, don't, don't forget the play basketball, too, okay? <laughs> it's not just the action figures. I myself put on the 23 jersey and, you know, get my shooting form correct. Did you put on the elbow, the elbow band and everything well, to hold the whole nine yards? He wasn't one that always dressed up. It was more of a knee type of... Well, he, he had the one uh, sweatband really, on the a... left forearm. No? Uh, I, yeah, see? Well, but I, I, I never associated him synonymous with the apparel where he dressed himself up. There were other players that I would go in that direction, much more so than him. But no, I, I don't take it that far to answer your question, Okay. Playtime is limited, okay? I only have so much flexibility in reenactments. So I'm glad that we got that all out. Skeletons are out of my closet. I feel a lot better. I don't know about you. Well, I'm feeling better yeah, because we're about I to say too. goodbye. Because Absolutely. you have to deal with the two of us for pretty much all week, folks. So just yeah, get ready for that. Lovely. We will continue to preview teams. Uh, I know Eagles and Cowboys are later in the week. Who do we have tomorrow? The Bills will be up tomorrow. Bills tomorrow. So make sure you come check it out on, on Big Blue Kickoff Live on Giants.com at noon tomorrow. For Lance Benno, I'm John Schmelk. Thanks to Sal Palantonio. We'll see you then. Have a good one.